A mother asked her little boy, why do you do bad things? And he replied, he said, well, it's not that I want to do bad things, but I sometimes just want to do what I want to do. Now, unfortunately, this little boy isn't alone because everyone has desire to do bad things. But why is it that even after receiving Christ, we find that we still have desires to do bad things. A number of years ago, when I was involved in a ministry with college students in Texas, I had the privilege of leading a young man to Christ. And a few days later, I met with him to start doing follow-up Bible studies with him. And he, he was surprised and disappointed that he still had desires to do bad things. He thought that once he became a Christian, all those desires would be gone. And if we're honest, we realize that each one of us, all throughout of our life, even after becoming a Christian, we still have desires to do bad things. Whether it's desire to express unrighteous anger, whether it's to lie, whether it's to lust, to be unloving, to be selfish, there are all kinds of desires that we have even as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, we're going to look at why we have those bad desires, and we're also going to learn how we can avoid doing those bad things and instead do the things that please and glorify our wonderful Lord. This morning, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26 where Paul explains in a very practical way how we are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that we can be faithful followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Even though we're going to be focusing on verses 16 through uh, 26, I'm actually going to start reading in verse 13 because it gives us a little bit of our context of our passage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So first of all, Paul talks about the fact that walking by the Spirit provides victory over the flesh. But what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? We know that the moment we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us spiritual life. He's the one who dwells within us and makes it possible for us 
to live this supernatural life that God has called us to live. However, even though the Spirit dwells within us, we must choose to depend upon God's Spirit. Now, the word that's translated walk gives the picture of depending upon the Holy Spirit as a way of life. So as we go about, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, wherever we are, we are to do that in dependence upon God's Spirit. It should be a lifestyle. Now, walk is also imperative. In other words, it's a command. And if we're commanded to do something, that means that it doesn't happen automatically. Just because we're now a believer in Christ, we have Holy Spirit living within us, we don't automatically live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That we have to choose to do that. That's why Paul said in verse 13 that we've been called to freedom and we're to use our freedom properly. Now, the word walk is also present tense. In other words, this is not a one-time thing. We must choose to walk in dependence upon God's Spirit each and every day until the Lord takes us home. So just because I know Christ is my Savior, just because I may be walking in dependence upon the Spirit today, I need to do that tomorrow and the next day until we go to be with the Lord. So after commanding us to walk by the Spirit, Paul then points out the great result of this, and that is that we will not carry out the desires of the Spirit. Now, when we place our faith in Christ, we have a spiritual birth, and we become a part of God's family. However, while we are still living in this world, we have a part of us that's called the flesh that is still opposed to God's uh, plan and truth for our lives. Now, the word flesh is often used for just our physical body, but Paul often uses it to refer to this sinful nature that we have that has a desire to follow the temptations of sin. Now, Paul is emphatic here when he says that you will not carry out the desires of the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. In fact, it's a double negative. It could be translated, you certainly, or you will not not carry out the desire of the flesh. That doesn't make for a good English, so that's why they don't translate that in our Bibles. But the point is, you cannot do both at the same time. You're either walking in dependence upon the Spirit, or you're following the desires of the flesh. You can't be mean to somebody and loving of them at the same time. Now, you can be mean to them one minute and loving to them another minute, but you can't do them simultaneously. Now, he goes on to talk about the fact that the reason why this is true is that they are opposed to each other in verse 17. So, when we come to faith in Christ and God's Spirit dwells within us, he actually stimulates us to have desires for good things. Now, you might think back to when you were a new believer. Now, for some of us, we have to think back quite a few years. But if we are taking in God's word and wanting to please God, we're finding desires to say and do good things that we didn't have before we become a Christian. So 
the Spirit wants to stimulate us to do what's right, but the Holy Spirit's not a, a dictator. He will not force us to do what's right. But we also have this sinful nature, this flesh, that has desires that are bad. And so we have both these desires. Just think about it. If somebody is mean to you, you may find that you have a desire to get revenge, to get even with them. But you may also have a desire to say, well, you know, I need to forgive them. Jesus forgave me. And so you have both of these desires going on. But we are not a helpless battleground because God has given us a will and we have this freedom in Christ to choose. So we are the ones who are going to determine whether I walk by the Spirit or I follow the desires of the flesh. Now, it's important for us to fill our minds with God's Word if we want to be more consistent in walking by the Spirit. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, People who are conformed to the world, what are they doing? They're following the desires of their flesh. And so once we come to faith in Christ, Paul says our minds, we need to be transformed, and the renewing of our minds is going to have a big impact on that. So we need to renew or reprogram our minds with God's Word. So we know what God's will is. We will be eager to do God's will, and then the Holy Spirit can use the word that we're taking in to really strengthen us to do the right thing. Now, even though we can have victory over the flesh by walking by the Spirit, this fleshly nature is not eliminated in this life. Until we go to be with the Lord, we still are going to have this sinful nature. And so, we must never think that we've arrived. You can be a Christian 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you still have that sinful nature. And we should never feel like, well, I can just coast. You know, I've known Jesus for such a long time, I don't need to spend time in the Word. You know what happens? You don't coast in the right way, you go off the rails. And unfortunately, I've known some people who walked with the Lord for many years, and they started coasting, and it was so disappointing to see them fall away. May that never be true of any of us. May we want to walk in dependence upon God's Spirit until the day the Lord takes us home, that we will honor Him and glorify Him with our lives. Paul also points out in verse 18, that this victory over the flesh is not accomplished by the law or legalism. Now, the Judaizers were trying to convince these new believers in the Galatian churches that it wasn't enough to receive Jesus Christ, but they also need to keep the Mosaic law. And so Paul is trying to tell them in this letter that that's not the case, and, and it's even though the law had a, a place in the Old Covenant, it's not a part of the New Covenant. 
And the law cannot protect you from the desires of the flesh, nor can the law give you the strength or power to live this new supernatural life. The key is the Holy Spirit. And so he even uses the word led, and it's passive. So first he said, walk by the Spirit. Now here in verse 18 he says, allow yourself to be led to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Now, what happens when we sin? Now, there's a lot that goes on, but I'm going to use a little analogy. Now, no analogy is probably perfect, but hopefully this will give you a little bit of a picture of what might happen. So let's imagine that you're, you're driving a car, and the Holy Spirit is riding with you in the car, and the Holy Spirit is giving you directions about how to drive. He's telling you where to t- turn, how fast to drive, and as long as you're taking the, the input from the Holy Spirit, things are going great. But then as you're driving along, all of a sudden you see something down a side street that looks attractive to you. And you desire to go down that street, even though the Holy Spirit is not leading there. But when you follow your desire, you're ignoring the Holy Spirit. You're taking a turn down this side street. You think it's attractive but it's a dead end. The result is bitterness and destruction and ugly things. Now, as we're going through this life, we realize that these desires come up and we have a choice to make. Am I going to do what God's Spirit wants me to do or am I going to follow this desire? Am I going to vent with this unrighteous anger that I feel like pouring out on somebody? Am I going to lie when I should tell the truth? Am I going to get revenge instead of forgiving this person? You know, there are all kinds of desires that come up, and we have a choice to make. Now, there are negative consequences. Whenever we choose to ignore the Holy Spirit and follow the desires of our flesh and sin. Now, one of the present things that happens is that we have broken fellowship with the Lord. And there's no joy when we're out of fellowship with the Lord. So there are present consequences, but also there are long-term consequences. And if we continue, and I'll talk more about that later when we get uh, later in the passage, but The good news is that God has given us a way to deal with that sin so that we don't have to remain at the dead-ended street. So we do not have to remain in sin. We can confess that sin and get back in fellowship with God. John shared this in 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus provided us forgiveness when he died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. And when we are living this Christian life and we sin, we break fellowship with him. But the good news is we can confess it and experience the forgiveness that he's already provided, get back in fellowship with him, and continue walking in the power of God's Spirit. 
Then Paul goes on to share some of the contrasting outcomes of following the flesh versus following the Holy Spirit. He first presents a representative list of the deeds or works of the flesh. Now, this is a, a long, ugly list, but many more could even be added to it. Let's look at verses 19 through 21. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, all of these ugly deeds are obvious. They were obvious at the time that Paul wrote this. They're obvious today. We see that all these things, are these uh, ugly deeds, are still common today. Now, these behaviors might be normal for those who don't know Christ, but they should not be normal for us who are seeking to live for Jesus Christ. However, the sad thing is that all these things are possible if we choose to follow the desires of the flesh. Now, this list of ugly deeds might be divided into four categories. The first category might be called sexual sins. Now, the word that's translated immorality is the Greek word porneia. This is the word that porn comes from. This was a general term for uh, improper sexual intercourse, whether it be premarital sex, whether it be adultery, incest, homosexuality, any kind of sexual intercourse outside of marriage was often uh, referred to with this word. Now, we realize that sex is a gift from God, but it's only for marriage. But Paul is pointing out that the desires of the flesh are to focus on sex outside of marriage. Now, is fire good or bad? Now, when you think about it, fire in a fireplace is a nice thing. You know, it's cold in the winter, you love to have fire in a fireplace. But what is fire outside of the fireplace? It's destructive. See, sex and marriage is good because it's a gift from God. It's part of God's plan. But outside of marriage, it's destructive. Now, it's possible that Paul began with this uh, problem here because in the Greek and Roman world, immorality was very, very common. In fact, many of the people didn't even think that there was anything wrong with it. And unfortunately, that's about the way it is in our world today. So many people, they think nothing of it because they don't regard the Bible and they just do whatever they feel like doing. And they do things that are actually destructive. If they follow God's plan, that's the very best. Now, the word impurity, the next word mentioned, refer, originally meant something that was unclean or dirty, and it came to take on more of a focus on uh, being ethically dirty or unclean. And Paul used it a lot for moral impurity. So it would include impurity of thought, which include lust, word, 
would be talking about it, off-color jokes. Uh, now, we realize we're bombarded in our society with all kinds of moral impurity, whether it's on TV shows, whether it's on movies, books, magazines, the Internet. So we are bombarded with things that could feed those uh, fleshly desires for inappropriate uh, sexual behavior. The next word is sensuality, which has the idea of uninhibited sexual indulgence without shame. So it even has the idea of almost flaunting immoral behavior. And we have that going in our society today. There are gay pride parades being proud of disobeying God's plan. We also have people that post things in social media that's totally uh, inappropriate. So what Paul talked about, unfortunately, we are seeing in our society today. The next uh, category of deeds are religious sins. We see the word idolatry. This, of course, has the idea of worshiping false gods and was often done by even having a, um, a man-made idol that represented a god. And we might think, you know, well, I don't have that problem. I don't have any idol. I'm not worshiping any false god. But when you think about what idolatry is, it's putting something before God. So our fleshly nature even has a desire to put other things before God, things that can even be good. So when we think about some of the things uh, that we may put before God, it might be material possessions. It might be our work. It might be hobbies. It might even be our families. Well, you say, well, how could it be wrong to prize your family? Well, it should still never become before the Lord. In fact, if we put the Lord first, we will have a better family than if we put the family before God and he gets pushed to the background. Now, the next word is sorcery. This is the word we get pharmacy from. Now, it was originally used for medicines in general, but then it came to be used for mind or mood-altering drugs. And probably the reason why Paul puts it in a, in a religious section here is because in the false religions, sometimes when people were worshiping their false gods, they would also take these drugs that would make them go into a trance or would alter their minds. Well, unfortunately, we have problems with that in our society today. In fact, uh, as you probably are aware, Michigan has even legalized the use of marijuana. Now, marijuana affects the way people think. And uh, if a believer is taking mind-altering drugs, that cannot glorify God because we need to have clear minds to do what God has called us to do. Then he goes on to deal with uh, relationship sins. I mean, he has a whole list of these. Um, and all of these behaviors are destructive to relationships. The first one he mentions is enmities. And this is being hostile toward others, viewing others as an enemy. And unfortunately, we see that increasing in our society today. And unfortunately, there are even believers that are participating in that kind of behavior. Strife, this has the idea of quarrels and contention, which 
comes out of seeing somebody as an enemy. Well, then it often leads to uh, quarrels and strife. Jealousy. Now, this is used in a negative sense. Uh, this is coveting what somebody else has. Now, I don't know how many of you are on Facebook, but one of the problems with Facebook is that some people start getting jealous because it looks like everybody else is having a better time than I'm having. And you've probably heard that some people even get depressed because look at their life and look at my life. You know, they're off doing all these fun things. I'm not doing those. And it's feeding the jealousy in people. Outbursts of anger. This has the idea of intense anger or wrath. Um, this is also something that's fed by social media. People get angry because one person says one thing and another person is attacking them back and they're, they're getting all angry. We have examples in our country of road rage and rage toward a spouse or toward children or uh, co-workers. I mean, uh, the desire is, instead of being forgiving, is to attack people. Uh, disputes. The next word has the idea of selfish ambition and rivalry, wanting to get ahead at the expense of another person. Instead of wanting to encourage and build up others, no, we want to take advantage of another person for ourselves. Very ungodly attitudes. Dissensions. This is people dividing in opposing groups because they don't agree on certain things. You know, we have on many of our college campuses today they only want to hear a certain message. They don't want to hear any other kind that confronts their message. Uh, the political correctness is um, an ugly thing. Now, uh, even Christians can get caught up in those sorts of things. Even with the pandemic, we see lots of dissension over wearing masks, not wearing masks, getting vaccinated, not getting vaccinated. It's amazing how all kinds of things. Now, we might disagree with somebody, but we shouldn't allow it to lead to dissension and division between uh, people. Divisions has the idea of actually forming groups. We realize uh, this would include things like gangs. You know, a lot of the cities have gangs, and they're, they have these groups. Even schools might have different social groups that don't get along with each other. The next word is envy. Now, this has the idea that you cannot bear the success of another person. So you have ill will toward another person because you perceive that they have something good that you don't have. Now, we have desires for the same thing. You might even ask yourself, okay, if a friend gets a, a promotion at work or a pay raise, are you happy for them? Or are you angry and have ill will that they got it and you didn't? Or how about, uh, how do you feel if someone talks about their child or their grandchild that got this great award? Are you happy with them? Or do you feel ill will because their child got it and yours didn't? You see, we have these desires because of our fleshly nature. And then Paul finishes his list with sins of alcohol. He mentions drunkenness. And of course, that's when the alcohol is affecting our mind 
and her actions. Someone said that when you're drunk, you can't think straight, you can't talk straight, and you can't walk straight. Now, at the time of Christ, most everybody drank wine. But a lot of people don't realize that wine was used to purify water. So much of the wine that was, uh, was mixed with three parts water, one part wine. Now, you could still get drunk if you drank enough of it, but it wasn't straight alcohol. Uh, now, a lot of people have had contention over the whole issue of drinking. Now, I don't know whether you drink or not. I choose not to because I have lots of good things to drink. And why would I want to drink something that if I drank too much, I'm going to get drunk? But I think that people can drink in moderation. But the question you might ask yourself, do you find that you're thinking about drinking a lot? Well, that desire is probably not coming from the Holy Spirit. And when you sit down and you drink, are you drinking more than one drink? If you follow the desire to drink drink after drink, well then, that desire is probably not coming from the Holy Spirit and you will soon be drunk. When I sit down to eat a meal, I usually drink a, one glass of water or a glass of milk, and that's enough. But if people sit down and they're having alcohol, do they drink just one drink? Well, if they don't, they're easily going to get into drunkenness. And the last word is, there is carousing, which has the idea of orgies. These were uh, drunken, immoral parties. And oftentimes, this was even done in the pagan worship. And then he adds, and things like these. This is only a representative list. This ugly list is just as relevant today as the time of Paul. And even as Christians, we can do these ugly things if we follow the desires of our flesh. But we don't have to because God has made it possible for us to live a different kind of life. Now he goes on to point out the consequences of following these bad behaviors in verse 21. So the one thing he says there is that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about a loss of salvation. So every believer in Christ will inherit or go into God's kingdom but there are inheritance rewards that are based upon how we live this life. And so if people are living like this, following these desires, then they're going to lose out on rewards that Christ wants to give in his kingdom. Now, after presenting this ugly list of deeds, he then has this beautiful but, starting verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, Jesus perfectly displayed this whole wonderful list of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we should desire. We should desire to become more like Christ each and every day. If we are filling our minds with God's word and if we're walking in dependence upon God's spirit, then the list here, the fruit of the spirit, and it's a representative list, there are others that could be added, these should become more and more evident in our lives day by day. Now notice Paul did not say the fruit of our self-effort, but the fruit of the spirit. You see, we cannot produce 
spiritual fruit in our own strength. Now, we do have an important role to play because we have to choose. The Holy Spirit's not a dictator. He's not going to make us do the right thing. We have to choose to depend upon him. So the worst, first word in this list is the word love. Now, of course, this is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. His love was self-sacrificing, it was unconditional, it was forgiving. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to live this type of love, this supernatural love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, we have the most complete description of this love. We're not going to take time to turn there. But love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It's not boasting. And Paul goes on and on and lists what this kind of love is like. The next word he mentions is joy, which is the inner sense of well-being when we are walking in fellowship with the Lord. You see, joy in the Lord is not based upon our circumstances. Happiness is, but not joy. You see, the Lord never changes. And so, no matter what the circumstances of life, when we are walking in fellowship with Him, we can experience joy. And so we shouldn't be jealous of other people because we have something that no one can take from us. It's better than any worldly thing. No matter what possession you have, it cannot compare with the joy of walking with the Lord. Then he mentions the word peace, the freedom from anxiety and turmoil. Now, this peace starts with peace with God. When we place our faith in Christ and the penalty for our sin is paid, we can come into God's presence and we can have peace with God because of what Christ has provided for us. That's the foundation of peace. And the Spirit enables us, if we walk in dependence upon the Spirit, to have peace as we go through life, no matter what the turmoil and the chaos might be in this life. And he also enables us to be peacemakers instead of providing strife and division like the desires of the flesh that we already saw. The word patience literally means long-tempered. It has an idea of having a long fuse. Instead of having this outburst of anger, which we saw in the other ugly list, that God's Spirit keeps us, provides us the strength to not explode in anger or frustration. The next word is kindness, which has the idea of being gracious with others, doing, taking the initiative to do what is beneficial for others. It's the opposite of being selfish. So, when you think about being kind, as you go through your day, you should think about, well, how can I be a blessing to this person, Lord? Give me wisdom. Give me ideas. Give me strength to know what to say and what to do that will be a blessing to them and which will glorify you. The word goodness has the idea of what is moral and upright. So we're doing things with other people that's good. Faithfulness. In other words, we're trustworthy, we're reliable, we're not fickle. You know, we live in a world where there's all kinds of fickleness. You never have any idea how people are going to respond in different situations. But that should not be true of us. Gentleness, 
the idea of being considerate others. It's the opposite of harshness. Now, some people think, well, gentleness is weakness, but it's not. The verb form here of this word was used for the taming of animals. One of the pictures was a bridled stallion, which pictures strength under control. So when we're dealing with other people, we can be gentle to them because that strength from the Holy Spirit enables us to respond in a gracious and loving manner rather than just allowing the desires of our flesh to lead us with outbursts of anger or whatever it is that we want to express. And then self-control, which we, in a sense, already alluded to. You see, the Holy Spirit will give us the strength to have control so that we don't do any of those desires of the flesh. But we have to choose to depend upon God's Spirit. And then he points out there are no laws against the fruit of the Spirit. There may be some laws against these ugly deeds of the flesh, but when you look at that list of of spiritual fruit, those are wonderful qualities that who would want to stop any of those? No, we want those to increase in this world. And then he goes on to talk at the end of this passage more about victory over the flesh. Let's look at verses 24 through 26. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now he says here that believers have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now, that's past tense. And you think, now wait a minute. I thought back in verse 17 it said that the flesh and the spirit, they're in opposition to each other. So, if the flesh has been crucified, why do I still have an issue with the flesh? Well, I think what Paul is talking about is the, the, the release from the domination that flesh had over us. When we place our faith in Christ, we are identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that broke the power of the fleshly nature over us. So now we are free. Even though we have those desires, even as Christians, to say and do bad things, we don't have to do them. We can just ignore them, be totally unresponsive to those desires. And then he, <clears throat> he goes on to mention a couple of more words. He's already talked to us about walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. In verse 25, he, he said, we are to live by the Spirit. Now, this is synonymous with the word walk that was used earlier. He's emphasizing again that this should be a lifestyle. This isn't something you do just when you're at church. No, you do it in your home, you do it at work, you do it out in the community. Wherever you are, you are to live in dependence upon God's Spirit. Now, the New American Standard translates uh, this next word, walk, here in verse 25, but it's a different word than was found in verse 16. The word here literally means to keep in step or to follow in the tracks. This was the word that was even used in the military for soldiers marching together. 
So they had all their movements together as they marched. Well, Paul is saying that's the way we are to live this life. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. We follow His guidance and rely upon Him for the strength and ignore the desires of the flesh that would lead us away from that. And then he ends by another short exhortation about not following the desires of the flesh. So he says here, let's not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying one another. Now the word boasting there has the idea of being conceited. Um, and it literally means to be empty glory. So there's really only one person that we should be boasting about, and that's not ourselves. Just think about it. The Lord created us. He saved us. He provides us all the resources that we need to live the Christian life. No matter how much we've grown in this Christian life, all the boasting should go to him, not to us. But our sinful nature would give us the desire to boast in ourselves. And most of us aren't real pleased when we're around other people that want to boast about themselves because it just puts people off. But that's a desire of our sinful nature. And then he, he mentions the word um, challenging or provoking. This has the idea of calling out to fight. And there's much provoking going on in our society today. We see it all over the place. It's on social media. It's um, on the news. You, you see people, instead of building each other up, instead of being peacemakers, people are just provoking each other. And then he uses the word envying, which he also used earlier. You know, having ill will toward others because we think they have some uh, benefit that we don't have. Now, we've seen here this morning that we have a flesh or sinful nature that gives us this desire to do bad things. We've also seen that we now have the Spirit that gives us desires to do good things. And it's important that we do not feed the flesh. We want to feed our minds with God's word so the spirit can use it, but we don't want to feed our minds with things that will feed the flesh. So we should not be viewing things that would stir up inappropriate sexual desires. We shouldn't go to places that will feed the desire to abuse alcohol. If we struggle with materialistic desires, we shouldn't go window shopping. If we find that when we're on social media that we're getting jealous or envious or angry at things that are on social media, then get off of it. We shouldn't be watching programs, reading books, anything that would feed the desires of a sinful nature. We can't eliminate these desires while we're here in this life, but we can choose not to feed them. So the good thing is that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't leave us. Even when we sin, we may grieve him, but he doesn't leave us. And so we should choose to follow him and to 
uh, feed our minds with God's Word so that He can use it in our lives. Now, we've seen in this passage this morning the contrasting outcomes. If we follow the desires of the flesh, there are all kinds of ugly things that can come from our lives. But if we live in dependence upon God's Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will glorify the Lord and will bless other people, and it will make life more enjoyable. You know, when we do the things that God calls us to do, there is satisfaction in that because that's the way God created us to be. Now, when we choose to walk by God's Spirit, we should see changes take place. We're never going to be perfect in this life, but think back a year ago. Are you more loving today than you were a year ago? Are you more joyful today than you were a year ago? Are you more peaceful today than you were a year ago? Are you more patient, kind? You see, all of these things should be growing more and more until the day takes us home. We should never plateau or go backwards if we're walking in dependence upon God's Spirit. So how can we be more consistent? Because we realize that none of us perfectly live in dependence upon God's Spirit. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the important things is filling our minds with God's Word. The more we fill our minds with God's Word, the more desire we should have to follow God's truth and to depend upon the Spirit. Now, God's called us to live a supernatural life, and we cannot do that in our own strength, so we must depend upon the Spirit. And Paul is helping us in this passage he knows that this is not something that's going to hop, happen automatically. It's amazing the words that he uses here. Many of these are kind of repeating in a different way to drive it home. He said, walk by the Spirit. Allow yourselves to be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Do you see the point? He just keeps driving it home. This is something that we need to apply in our daily lives. But how does this work practically? How does this work as I go about my life? Well, let's say someone mistreats you. Now, you may find that when that happens, you have this desire to get even with the person. You're angry at them, and you want to get even or get revenge. But then you also, you, you, you realize, that, well, you know, I'm supposed to forgive them. Um, I'm supposed to love them unconditionally, but I don't feel like loving them. And you see, in our own strength, we won't do that. I've been in situations where I know I need to love this person, and that's the last thing I feel like doing. But we can pray. We can say, Lord, give me the strength through your spirit to love this person. They may not deserve it. They may not have earned it. But you love me unconditionally, you give me the power through your spirit to so enable me to love this person unconditionally. Or you might say, Lord, give me the wisdom to know what to say and the power to say that in a meaningful way. Now, there are other situations in life. Maybe everything is going bad. Your car broke down. Your hot water heater stopped working. Or maybe some of you men were working on a plumbing project and it seems like those always go bad. Now, 
I'll confess with you, if, if I have gone into that plumbing project and the Lord isn't on my mind and I start running into problems, I start getting frustrated and angry. But if when I go into that project, I say, okay, Lord, I'm not sure how this project's going to go, but I need your wisdom and I need your strength to respond properly as I go through it. When I do that, even when I sense the frustration starting to come up, I say, okay, Lord, just give me some peace and patience here. You see, living the Christian life is practical, and Paul's trying to bring it down on our level where it becomes a practical part of our lives. But one of the problems is that we don't remember that we need to do this. You know, sometimes afterward, we just blew it. We said, well, why, why didn't I trust the Lord with that? Well, we just got swept away by our desires, and then we need to confess it and get back with the Lord. Well, one practical thing that I would encourage all of you to consider doing is to meditate on verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is a short little verse. You may want to put it on a three-by-five card and put it someplace where you can see it often. You may put, an, put it in, a, in a, that verse in a note on your phone and look at it several times a day. And you see, if you have that fresh in your mind, then when you reach a situation where you see that your desire is to go off track, that verse comes back to your mind and you say, yeah, I don't have to do that. I'm going to trust in you, Lord, to do the right thing. So let's be committed to living the Christian life in a way that truly honors and glorifies the Lord and is a blessing to others.